employees want to resonate with values deeper than the bottom line. They, mm -hmm. they want to be a part of an organization that makes a difference. And uh, companies that we find roll out financial wellness programs are those types of companies. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of People at Work. It's Dustin from Jostle, and I'll be your host today. On this episode, I'm really excited to be chatting with Brian Ford about the importance of financial wellness and the effect that it has on both retention and productivity. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. You bet, Dustin. Glad to be here. Yeah, really appreciate you being on. Um, I'd love to hear, you have an interesting kind of background and where you got to where you are. I'd love if you could maybe break that down a bit and then ultimately lead up to kind of what sparked this interest in financial wellness. Absolutely. Well, as you know, right now, I currently serve as the financial well-being executive for SunTrust Bank. We're a large bank, about 24,000 employees. We're in the Southeast primarily, so maybe some of your listen listeners have not heard of us. But to kind of give you a background of, you know, where I got to this point, um, for me, my love and passion for financial wellness started very early on in high school and in college. When I was in business school, I kind of shared this idea with my business professors. I said, I want to want to start a, a financial education company and I want to do financial education in a fun and engaging way. And they said, okay, yeah, you can do that. And I said, but I know a lot of the folks that need this either can't afford it or are not willing to pay for it. So I want those folks that go through it to not have to pay for it. Uh, and I don't want it to have any ulterior motives. So no sales pitches or products of anything. It was just purely education, like do what's right for people. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, well, that sounds like a, a nonprofit. And I said, no, I want it to be a for-profit organization. And I was told that that was a naive business model to kind of go back to the drawing board. Well, you know, I just kind of tucked that away. And out of school, I ended up going into more organizational behavior. So I helped HR professionals better attract and retain and motivate employees through recognition programs. And so that was my background. I did that for about a decade. And the light bulb kind of went off one day and I said, I wonder if employers would value this enough to pay for it for their employees as a benefit. Um, and again, workplace financial wellness, uh, you know, well over a decade ago is not quite the phrase and buzzword that it is today. Um, it was, it was very new. Um, long story short, I decided to start my own company and that's all we did. And what's beautiful is that company really is exactly what I envisioned in business school, which is a fun and engaging way to engage, you know, with financial education. Uh, we didn't sell anything. Uh, it, no product sales, no marketing to the employees themselves. Uh, but the missing piece that, that I and my business professors could not see is that the companies would be the ones to pay for it. And what's cool is 100% of the people who go, the program, go through the program, you know, don't pay for it. In fact, the majority of them get paid to do it because they're allowed to do the program on company time, which was even better than I envisioned. Um, and so that's what I did. Started my own company. It was tough going at first, uh, very difficult. And then it just started to click. Uh, and a couple of years later, we then doubled every year for four years, had a nice uh, clientele base. We primarily worked with large companies. And one of those customers was SunTrust. And uh, as a bank, um, you know, they want to help people financially. And I thought, okay, you know, we can do this. But SunTrust was interesting because they were going through a, a phase where they wanted to reinvent their purpose. And they came out with their purpose statement, which is lighting the way to financial well-being. Mm -hmm. Well, the CEO of SunTrust at the time said, you know, I bet our employees are doing better. We're a bank. And I bet we're doing better financially than the average employee 
um, in, in companies across the country. Well, they put in a couple questions around financial wellness in their annual employee engagement survey, and the CEO of SunTrust would be the first to admit he was wrong. Mm -hmm. The employees at SunTrust were average, and we know average is not very exciting or good when it comes to financial literacy. So they decided to implement a program themselves. They hired my firm to do so. It was so successful, and we might want to come back around to some of those metrics and so forth, but it was successful enough to where they purchased my company. I moved from out west to out east in Atlanta, and now that's mm -hmm. what I currently do for SunTrust is we roll out large-scale workplace financial wellness programs. So a little background on me. Perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like quite the journey uh, with all the kind of weaves along the way to get there. Um, I find it really interesting that you managed to make that model work, that your business professors thought, hey, there's no way that's going to happen. I imagine, as you said, that took a while. How did you kind of keep going through those difficult times? Was there some way that you, you would motivate yourself or have that confidence to keep going? Yeah, well, I'll say it was not easy. Uh, anyone who starts a business knows that. And there's mm -hmm. days that you wake up and you think you're going to conquer the world. And there's days where you think, what? in the world am I doing? <laughs> am I going to make it? And people who know me, Dustin, know I'm pretty even killed. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't get nervous very easily, not easily rattled, but there were days early on in my startup where I would be in the shower in the morning and I would throw up in the shower. So yeah. scared. Um, it almost brings back kind of memories right now as I retell the story, which are not fun. Mm -hmm. um, it was difficult. I would say the thing that kept me going really is my love for helping people get in a better place financially. So it was this deep passion of saying, I, I know we can help folks. I know there's a better way. And I don't love finance just because I want people to grow their money, although that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I love finance because very early on, I realized that the way we manage our money affects our personal lives. I've seen it in my own life, my parents, um, friends. Mm -hmm. We know that it's about being a better mother, a better father. It's about being a, a better spouse, a better friend, a better coworker. If we can get this money stuff behind us, we then can focus on the things that matter most to us in life. So it's this deep desire to help people. And I feel like money is one of the easiest things to manage because money is an object. We can manage it. We can tell it what to do. And if people just knew better, they would do better. Um, so it was this deep desire to help people and to do it in a different way. I will say that you know, financial illiteracy, it's not a new problem. Mm -hmm. And financial education, it's not a new solution, but workplace financial wellness is different and it's working. So it's just this desire of marrying up what I was good at working with HR professionals with my passion of personal finance. And that's what carried me through the difficult times is, is knowing that we were helping folks, knowing we were doing the right thing and that we could change the model. Uh, and, and that workplace financial wellness could eventually be what really it is today. It's it's gaining steam and it's working. Yeah, and I think it's great that you you had that motivation other than, hey, I want this to be a super profitable business where I make a ton of money. It was more about helping people, which when you have that kind of guiding light to go to, it, it makes those tough times a little more bearable, I would imagine, which is, is really important. Absolutely. Um, look, there's no doubt I, I needed to feed my family. Yep. Um, but if I were just after profit, I'm not sure I would have started a training and development company. I'm telling you, there are, there are other yeah. models out there that I knew of that could have got me there faster. It really is the educator in me that 
that, that wanted this. And, and I did. I, I looked at the statistics, and we know that fights over money mm-hmm. is one of the number one causes of divorce. We know that financial challenges, it's one of the number one causes of workplace stress. Most people look at that and they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I look at this and I'm like, my goodness, what an opportunity. If yeah. we can get this right, we can save marriages and we can dramatically improve company cultures. And that's been my mantra from day one, which is save marriages, improve company <laughs> cultures. And it's been a lot of fun along the way. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And I think a lot of people when they come out of school too, they're just ill-prepared financially because school doesn't really teach you any financial literacy at least when I went to school there there wasn't a whole lot right I took all the math classes the social studies classes but even something as simple as, as doing your taxes or that wasn't taught at any point um, so yeah I think people are ill prepared so it's great that you got the workplace to kind of provide that that um, that asset for their employees so I'd love to talk a little bit about how you started at, at SunTrust and you've expanded to other companies and you have a lot of companies using um, your program now. Are there any kind of stats or trends or anything that really jumped out um, after working with so many companies? Well, I, I look at measurement kind of in three buckets. Most of the companies we work with want to jump to this third bucket, this third level, which is return on investment. Yeah. And, I, and I'm quick to say, look, I know that's important. If it, you know, I want you to manage your corporate finances like I teach people to manage their personal finances. The bottom line matters. But to get that return on investment, you have to focus on the first two buckets. And that first kind of level of measurement is satisfaction and utilization. The second one is behavior change. Can we get the employees in a better place financially? And if we focus on those two things, the third one will come. The data shows that. Our experience shows that. A couple stats that you know, stand out to me is if you ask employees across the country, would you engage in a workplace financial wellness program if we gave it to you? Um, would you value it? About 60 to 70% of folks are saying yes. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm okay with having this over maybe that. It's not just that they want more. They're willing to give up others for this. We know financial wellness is on people's minds. Um, but then when you roll it out, only about 10 to 15% participate. is one of the oh. largest gaps of any type of training you can provide uh, in, in, in the workplace. And we wanted to know why that was. Um, and, and we realized that one, people are worried about um, confidentiality. They think mm-hmm. if they start you know, in one of these programs that it self-identifies them as someone who needs it and who mismanages their money. They're also worried about being sold something. Um, and so there's all these goofy ideas that people think. And by the way, they're not goofy. We all think them. But if we can mitigate those things, and what we've done is that's how we roll out our programs is we mitigate those things. You can get 30, 40, 50% participation rates. Then uh, you then can change behavior. And once mm-hmm. you change behavior, then we can get towards those bottom line results like decreasing turnover, um, increasing employee satisfaction and employee engagement and so forth. Yeah. And I'd imagine there, there might be a bit of a snowball effect there too, where 20%, 30% of people at a company sign up and then it helps them and legitimately makes their lives better. And they're going to tell their coworkers. And I, I could see that kind of growing over time because it's such a tangible benefit that the employees would receive. Uh, is that something you, you've seen as well? 
Yes, it does. Yeah. It, it takes some time. Yeah. It's not just kind of a, we're going to roll this out and hope it works in six months to a year. You know, most companies that are serious about helping their employees financially look at this as a multi-year program. Yeah. And you're right. It does. It grows over time as um, people see a benefit in their personal lives. And employees look at workplace financial wellness that different than most benefits. There are a lot of benefits, especially in the training space, where the employee appreciates it, but they can very easily see how it helps the firm, how it helps mm -hmm. the company, whether it's leadership training or what have you. Those are all good things, um, but they can quickly say, I, I see why they're doing this. With personal finance, it's different. They're like, my goodness, th my company's doing this for me. They, yeah. they want to make me a better person. End of story. I appreciate it. And that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think behind all that as well, though, there are obviously tangible benefits for the company for having their employees go through this. And the, the white paper you shared before this highlights some of those right around productivity um, increases, retention levels increase. Can you maybe outline what you think causes and drives that relationship between um, financial wellness and retention and productivity? Yeah, I think it really does come down to kind of moving the needle when it comes to employee engagement, employee satisfaction. I know your listeners know the models and know what goes into these things. Leadership matters. And when it comes to leadership, they want to know that the leaders care deeply about the employees. Yeah. Trust is also as an important component of uh, employee engagement. And so when you send that message that we want to help you get in a better place financially, it does. It sends that message that they care you build trust. I think what team that they're on matters. I think understanding customers matters. Uh, depending on the business you're in, just knowing that the folks you serve, your customers, your clients, they struggle financially. What does that mean for the way you roll out your products uh, and go to market uh, and your pricing structure? Helping people understand how to manage their own personal finances, help them manage the corporate finances as well. I think also just organizationally, uh, we know that employees want to resonate with values deeper than the bottom line. They, mm -hmm. they want to be a part of an organization that makes a difference. And uh, companies that we find roll out financial wellness programs are those types of companies. They obviously want to make a difference in their employees' lives. You know, willingness to give back and giving back is important for people and feeling engaged with an organization. So while I would say that you know, workplace financial wellness is not the silver bullet to employee engagement, employee satisfaction. It's one of many things that we can do to make a difference in the workplace. Um, but it is interesting that employees, while we see a good bottom line result for these companies, the employees don't see it that way. They see it as simply this really makes a difference in my life and it's, it's making my family life better. And I appreciate my company for doing that. Uh, and there's greater satisfaction which leads to greater engagement. Yeah. I think it all boils down to the most simple level of happier, less stressed employees who feel valued are going to work harder and do a better job in most cases. Right. And, and I think this is just something that kind of contributes to that and helps them go along that path. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the questions that we ask in our employee engagement survey here at SunTrust is we just simply ask, do you believe SunTrust cares about your financial well-being? Huh. And when yeah. we started this journey, we were average. And average is right around 40%. About 40% of employees believe their company cares about their 
personal financial well-being. Mm-hmm. What's beautiful is five years later now, we're at 82%. We've more than doubled the national average, and we're helping oh. other companies do the same. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and going on the helping other companies, I know you've worked with, uh, I was on the website looking, there's some pretty big name companies in there. Have, have you found that this works kind of equally well across industry and company type, or is there a certain maybe type of company that could benefit more from this than others? Yeah, no, it, it is equally important and received as well across all type of companies, size, industry, demographics. We have companies that have just, you know, very few employees all the way up to, you know, hundreds of thousands like Home Depot and so forth. Um, Look, people are people and people are struggling financially. Um, And we find that it's, it's important to cross all spectrums uh, and it's well-received. There isn't like this industry that we're just finding that we're getting great participation and people love it. It's not like this is a, a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Look, millennials care about this just as much as baby boomers and everything in between. Um, people care about how they manage their money and how it affects their personal lives and their work life. And so the good news is this is for every type of company. Yeah, that that's awesome. And I mean, the, the one thing I'm curious about as well is from an educational point of view, um, obviously in these courses and, and in the training program, you teach them a lot. Are there maybe one or two, not quick wins, but nice little tips maybe that you could share with our listeners that you found have really what resonated with people as you've done this program multiple times? Yeah. One thing I will say is no, no matter what principles you live, we always, I will say this, we try and inspire first, then educate, then equip. A lot of these programs jump right into education. They'll jump right into budgeting and wonder why half the room falls asleep. Um, we, we start with inspiration. We need to capture the employee's hearts before we uh, you know, go to the mind. And the way we do that is we simply focus people on their values um, and what they care most about in life. And we ask people, you know, what do you care about in life? And we hear things like, well, my family, my health, but it doesn't matter what they say. They can say travel or a particular car. The, the important thing is, is they're focusing on what matters to them. And then we ask them to say, well, is there a connection between the way we manage our money and the things we care most about in life? You know, cause we could skip this whole value stuff and jump to something like wildly exciting, you know, like budgeting. And they realize we're joking. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we're, you know, finance nerds do have a sense of humor. Yeah. But we let them know that one, the things they care most about in life are their why for engaging in good financial behavior, but also if they really list out what they care most about in life, their values, and they prioritize them, we would say, look, you just created your first meaningful budget. We actually were mm-hmm. talking about budgeting. One of the keys to finding happiness with your money is you've got to stop spending it on stuff you don't really care about in life. And for the first time, the budgeting light bulb goes on and they realize that it's not about spending less. It's about spending smarter. So you get more of what you actually want and, and uh, going at personal finance with that angle, with that personal inspirational personalized message is making a big difference. Mm -hmm. Um, So having said that, that's the foundation of the program is making sure we connect with what people care most about in life. And then beyond that, look, I I love teaching people how to become a rock star saver and it's not hard. A lot of people are kind of like, ah, I've never been a good saver. I can't save a dime. And it's like, it's okay. It doesn't matter if you're naturally a good saver or not. There's two things you can do to become a great saver. That's save first. You got to be doing it first. Mm -hmm. And then number two is you want to automate it. 
And if you do it first and you automate it, you will become a, a rock star saver. It always works. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing. And then we teach people how to do that. Um, so I think, you know, saving and saving it in that way, you know, it's not about willpower. It's about setting yourself up for success. Mm -hmm. I'm also a big fan of calculating net worth. I know that's kind of nerdy, but net worth to us is simply just assets minus liabilities. It's what you own minus what you owe equals yep. your net worth. The reason why that's important is because your listeners, a lot of the wealthiest looking people that they know actually have a negative net worth. They just mm -hmm. look like they're doing well, but net worth is the true story. I love net worth because it's the truth. It's real. It's honest. I think we should start getting honest about our finances. And by just watching your net worth grow up, grow, you're going to be doing a whole lot of other good things. Like you have to live within your means for your net worth to grow. Mm -hmm. And you can only grow your net worth by really saving more or paying down debt. And people who are really serious do both. So what's beautiful is by focusing on net worth, you end up living a bunch of other really good financial principles without even knowing it because you're just trending that net worth up. So there's a few things to kind of think about. Think about your values as being the foundation for your financial management. Mm -hmm. You know, become a rock star saver by saving first and automatically, and then focus on that net worth and, and watch it trend upwards. Yeah, I think those are all great tips. And especially the, the save first, like I, don't remember if it was in Wealthy Barber or something I read a while ago where it really hit me was just the whole pay yourself first concept, which yep. w once you set that up, you're totally right. You almost, you just adapt and don't even really miss that money that's going into savings. Um, so I agree. That is kind of a key one that's relatively easy to do once you set it up, right? That's exactly right. I always tell people, you know, how does the government get your money? Yeah. You know, are they calling <laughs> you up at the end of the month and they're like, hey, we got some roads to build, you know, um, education, you know, do you have some money now? It's first and it's automatic and we can do the same thing uh, yeah, in our lives to build wealth. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Um, the, the one thing I'd like to, to kind of jump to another topic that I found super interesting as well is you've written a couple books um, or a few books and you actually wrote one geared towards children as well, correct? I did. Yeah, I'm curious kind of maybe what inspired that? Um, yeah, I guess what, what inspired that and what is that book really about and what does it teach kids? Yeah, you bet. It's simply called Marshmallows and Bikes, Teaching Children and Adults Personal Finance. It was inspired by a study that Stanford did, I think way back in the 70s. Some of your listeners may be uh, familiar with this study. I think it's simply called the Marshmallow Study, which is they looked at five-year-olds mm -hmm. and they said, hey, we're going to play the marshmallow game. You can have one marshmallow right now or if you wait 10 minutes, you can get two. And then the researcher left the room and it's pretty hilarious. I mean, some kids just gobbled that thing right up. Some waited. Um, and what they did then is they followed these children for the next, I can't remember, we'll say 20 or 30 years. And it was striking the difference that the concept of delayed gratification uh, and what it meant for these folks in their lives, as far as happiness levels, employment, income, marital satisfaction and, and it went on and on and, and that study really struck me as very fascinating and I thought well how can we take that how can we teach delayed gratification in a fun way so I, I wrote a simple book about two little girls and their dad actually plays the little marshmallow game and they just gobble the marshmallow up and then they're kind of bummed that they can't have the more marshmallows but then they think about that and the next day they do better because delayed gratification is something that we learn over time and we practice um, and we have to work at. And then they kind of get a little older and then they, uh, they kind of apply that story to bikes 
and they want a bike, they save and work for it, but they're at the store and they're like, oh my gosh, this cool new toy and they want it. And their mom's like, hey, you can have that toy. You've been working hard. You've got money. But then they kind of think back to the marshmallow study and, and the little game they played with their dad and they decide to keep going and they end up getting the bikes that they love. Um, so it's just a simple little story uh, for kids to kind of realize that, again, saving is about getting what you want. It's about mm-hmm. spending less on little stuff that doesn't matter to get the big stuff that really does matter. So that was kind of the genesis behind that book. That's awesome. That's interesting. I, uh, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home, and we just got our three-year-old his first piggy bank. Uh, it's in the shape of a Brinks truck because he's obsessed with cars and trucks. Uh, but we're, we're slowly teaching him, like, when you help us clean up, um, there, there's a bit of a reward there, and then you can save your money and you can get something. And he's, We're trying to teach him that maybe a little too young, but that's no, interesting. That's no, interesting you're doing great. <laughs> I love it, Dustin. Way to go, dad. It is not too early. Um, I tell you, the more you can instill this mantra within your family that you are workers and savers. You all work hard and you save money um, and life is better when you do that. I love hearing that. Way to go, man. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, we figured we'd bribe him a little bit with, hey, there's this cool truck and you can put stuff in it. And as a three-year-old, he was nuts for that. So it, it was a bit of an easy win there. Nice work. Yeah. Um, awesome. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of that as well. Um, if they either want to learn more kind of on their own or potentially look into um, ha- having your program at their company, where can they go to, to learn more about you um, and Momentum Up? Oh, I appreciate that. Yes. Um, the co- you know, look, I work for SunTrust. Our program is Momentum on Up. So Momentum on Up is just a fancy way for our workplace financial wellness program. They can either just Google Momentum on Up mm-hmm. or the actual site is suntrust.com forward slash Momentum on Up where they can learn more about uh, possibly bringing their program to, to their company. But um, it was great being on the show today. Thank you, Dustin. Yeah, thanks so much. And for our listeners, I'll include... Um, links to those and a couple other resources as well uh, in the podcast description. So if you're listening to this, you can just click on there and then take a look. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it. Also, if you aren't subscribed yet, feel free to subscribe at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening now, so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks again, and feel free to reach out at dustin at or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks. <laughs>